Welcome to the Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. Join your host, Sam Newell, as he educates you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. Hear interviews with the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they've learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become Sam's goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay safe and not get caught in the next downturn. Tune in and become recession-proof. So Hans, we're, we're kind of already rolling, but I just kind of like to start these typically with a little bit of a conversation about you, mm-hmm. kind of what you're doing right now. So you're a licensed realtor, but I'm kind of curious to hear about the Olympic rowing first. Absolutely. Well, uh, that's exactly right. I, I am a licensed realtor with the Gunderman Group. We're with uh, Sotheby's International Realty here in uh, the Oakland Montclair office. And I've been in real estate professionally and formally for about three years. But as you just alluded to before that, in my previous life, uh, I trained uh, from the time I was 14 uh, until a couple years ago for rowing and ultimately made the Olympic team on uh, for Rio de Janeiro in 2016 in the men's eight. So that's the bit when everyone thinks of rowing, that's the big long boat with eight people and a coxswain. That's, that's what I did. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was a long journey. I made, you know, had a couple of national championships in college, uh, made some national teams at the under 23 and senior level, and then made the Olympic team. That's really cool. That's a huge accomplishment. I mean, national championships plus the Olympic team. I have a couple follow-up questions of that. Number one, was the water as gross in Rio as everyone said it was? There is every Olympics one or two things that people like to blow up in Sochi, Russia. It was the rabid dogs in Rio. It was the Zika. And, you know, in, in Beijing, it was the pollution. We took precautions. We, we definitely put our water bottles inside of plastic bags and had mouthwash and hand sanitizer and all that stuff. But it honestly wasn't quite as bad as everyone said, though the rowing venue was not in the area where everyone was worried. It was more the sailing, like the, the open water people, mm-hmm. the out in the bays uh, who, who got the brunt of that. But I, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't keep track because I was pretty focused on what we were doing. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone got terribly sick uh, from it because everyone was taking really serious precautions on, on it. Interesting. Okay. Well, cool. And and my other question is, you know, I don't know anything about rowing. Literally, I I row a drift boat. One of my uh-huh. favorite things to do is go fishing up on uh-huh. the Green River here in Utah. I have this little drift boat, and it's really fun maneuvering around boulders, going down rapids, and mm-hmm. we fly fish. And but when you you watch rowing for someone that doesn't know anything about competitive rowing, what is the really the thing that sets you apart from someone else being very successful? going to the Olympics versus just getting through the the lake. Okay. Well, visually, if you're rowing well and in the boats going fast, it's, it's not going to look hard. So being smooth and fluid is really, really important, but sort of from a, from an athlete makeup standpoint, having a huge VO two max, uh, is really key. Um, rowers, arguably have some of the highest VO2 maxes of any athlete. And there's a couple of studies that sort of support that up there with 
cross-country skiing and some of those distance anaerobic threshold sports. Got it. Um, being tall and uh, having very powerful legs and back is pretty important uh, to that sport. And then having mentality-wise a, a work ethic of you know coming in every day because it's not like there is a season for rowing, which is the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of these sports that doesn't really have an off season. You have maybe two weeks after the world championships or the national championships, and then, uh, you're, you're back at it because they're, it's a, it's a sport that you have to build up a cardio endurance. So being able to come in day in and day out and, and put in the work and work as a team is probably the the most important thing beyond the physical aspects. And to a certain level, uh, that outweighs the physical aspects. Got it. So being able to just put in the time and and the work, work as a team, but really train all year round is what Mm. you were doing. It's a sport that has absolutely no glory in it because you're a member of a crew. Like you're literally in the same boat with people and you're working together to push your, or to, to push your boat down the course and everyone's going the same speed. Uh, you know, it's not like you have a superstar who can just come in and make a difference because there's still right. seven others or three others or one other in the boat, depending on what boat class you're in. Got it. Got it. Well, tell me this. How are you able to make a transition into real estate and, and apply that work ethic? Because, you know, I have, I'm opening a commercial brokerage. I've been training residential agents for years and mm-hmm. everyone says they can work hard. Mm-hmm. Everyone says they want to make a lot of money. Everyone sends they, says, you know, my investors say they want to go big, mm-hmm. but it seems like most people don't have the patience and the ability to work long. And, and usually I'm, I'm guessing you were pretty bored in some of those workouts, right? Yes. It's, it's a really repetitive motion as opposed to a ball sport or a field sport where it's dynamic and it's always changing in your running plays rowing is you're, you're perfecting emotion and you're yeah. trying to be as efficient and as powerful at that thing, at that one arc, uh, through the water as possible. And to stay focused on it, it, it definitely takes a, a certain type of person who is open to that kind of repetitive motion every single day, time and again, but it, taking that and applying it into the business world was not an easy transition for me because just like getting to the top or pinnacle of anything, Mm -hmm. I had essentially reached the pinnacle of the sport without actually earning an Olympic medal. We were, we were fourth in our event. So we were just Mm -hmm. outside the medals. I had done almost everything that one can do without, you know, a gold medal at the Olympics basically. And you have to sort of take a step. I had to take a really big step back and it was Aside from a disappointing performance, it was and finish. It was a uh, like, oh, now what kind of thing, and feeling really lost for a while. And ultimately, um, through a lot of support of family and friends and some professional help, just to kind of get me back on track, I found real estate and really applied my work ethic and my desire to achieve goals, well, set goals and achieve them, and break down problems of okay, you know you want to sell 10 houses in a year. Like what does that actually look like and how do we get there? And how many, you know, if you want to be really oversimplified on it, like how many contacts do you have to make to then get to the appointments, to then get to the contracts, to the closings. And Mm -hmm. uh, 
that part really helped me personally is breaking it down and having that um, sort of blueprint because that's something that worked really well for me when I was rowing. And um, I have now been able to leverage a bit beyond the simplicity of that because mm-hmm. I'm slightly more established and am on a really fantastic team who has a lot of listings and has a lot of reputation in our industry. Um, so contacts don't always equal contracts in that case because we're well known there. But um, leveraging the the skills that I learned and and taking that coachability and that kind of breaking down of the formulaic approach really helped me to, to start and to get into it from, and then from there you can kind of redevelop your identity. Yeah, no, that's huge. And, and, you know, when I train these agents and when they come to me, um, there's very, very talented people, very good at sales. There's people that are very poor salesmen, just, it's not natural to them. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. And then that's why I asked you that question is, to me, it's more about your work ethic. It's more about your ability to be bored each day mm-hmm. because sometimes the money-making activities are very, very boring. For me right now, we are underwriting and looking at a huge amount of deals and it is so boring. I mean, I don't, I can't tell you how many profit and loss statements I've looked yep. at, how many offering memorandums and I'm getting properties confused and it, this is the really, really boring part of this business. Mm-hmm. Um, the exciting part is when we actually write a letter of intent and, and we haven't even had one accepted yet, you know, in the last eight months, um, with our business partners, we did, but my business partner and I just by ourselves have not. So that's kind of what I've seen sets good real estate agents apart and sets good investors apart is their ability to focus on that goal. That's a gold medal in the Olympics so far away and then do the daily activities that it's eventually going to get you there. To me, that's, that's really where most agents and investors fall short is they get bored. They, they stop doing those daily activities. So you, you're part of a very successful real estate team. Um, how much of your business, I'm curious, is investor-based versus just you know, regular resale? The vast majority of our business is regular uh, home buying and selling. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably have 10 to 20% at any given year that's, that's in sort of a two to four unit multifamily and we'll do an occasional commercial thing. But most of the commercial stuff we refer out because we find that our core competency as a team is in that single family condo and potentially as much as two to four units, though we don't we sort of trend towards a luxury space, which is where my my mentors, David and Andrew, have sort of built their careers. And uh, personally, I'm beginning to expand into the the investor space because I now have another a new team member who is interested in it. So he and I together are, are slowly getting into that world because I think there's also a great need for uh, agents in that in that world as well. There is. And it's interesting, you know, there's a lot of commercial agents out there that do strictly investments. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of what I call resi-mercial agents mm-hmm. who can sell investment properties and who are actually very, very competent in investment properties. Mm-hmm. I consider myself resi-mercial. I have my CCIM. I've been selling residential for nine years and commercial for about four, four and a mm-hmm. half. So I'm I'm curious, you know, you you work with luxury home buyers and sellers all the time. 
what are they investing in in your area though you know that your your clientele have to have quite quite a bit of disposable income what are they doing yeah so our client base in our our economy here in the bay area specifically is really driven by the tech uh money that gets spent so the in the news lately there's been a lot of the ipo talk and we are mm-hmm. certainly seeing those folks um with cash either in bank accounts or on paper uh through various means getting taking that money and putting it into real estate typically in their single family homes um but as far as investments are concerned most people uh are if they're talking about uh, you know long term buy and holds or or that sort of thing, they mm-hmm. are not putting it in Oakland unless they've got a really creative strategy because right. our cap rates are simply too low. Their ability to raise rent is is capped depending mm-hmm. on the city you're in due to rent control. And um, generally speaking, tenants have a lot more control over the asset than uh, I would say many other markets do. And that is obviously a direct result of the various rent control laws that have been passed over the last handful of years. I would say most people are trying to put money who we deal with into their home and then let it sit and appreciate while they live in it and maybe do a value add play, maybe add an ADU, uh, which is ancillary dwelling unit, basically converting a garage or a basement into a second unit and, and then renting that out or doing an Airbnb strategy on something like that. Got it. Got it. So it sounds like most of your clientele, which is, you know, I ha- I know a lot of quite a number of of uh, agents in the Bay Area, but they're all doing the same thing. All those all their clients, they they maybe don't know other markets. They know that they're going to have great appreciation or they feel they will. And so they throw it into a, a single family home. And, you know, I was actually in the area. I'm sorry that we missed each other last week. That was kind of a bummer. But I know, um, yeah, it was. I, w- I was there doing a seminar and we ran the numbers and we said, okay, if you buy a home in the Bay Area strictly for appreciation, because we know it's not going to cash flow um, versus mm-hmm. buying in an area that has good appreciation and also cash flow, what do those numbers end up looking like? And and of course, there's also the go buy in, in Indiana for only mm-hmm. cash flow by an eight or a 10 cap. So we compared the three and you can get great appreciation. But really, the best returns come from focusing on a a middle ground. So not all appreciation and not all uh, just cash flow, and and mm-hmm. the returns end up being quite a bit higher if you're able to get cash flow plus appreciation. And and actually, before this call, right? Yeah, yeah, I was just on a call with Grace Sang from Intero. She's in the Cupertino office, and about twenty of her fellow realtors and also clients. Another about ten of her clients talking about Salt Lake City, the Silicon Slopes that we call it, um, mm-hmm. as well as Boise, which which I'm building condos and townhomes in Boise and Salt Lake as well. And then Kansas City, a couple other areas where you can still get a good cap rate, but also have appreciation. And and um, I told him, you know, you can buy a townhome here for $300,000 that rents for $1,900 a month. And they were just blown away. They They could not believe that you can buy a townhome in an A location close to all the jobs for three hundred thousand yeah. dollars. And, and um, that's a down payment here in the Bay Area. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, what's funny when I was there on my on my doing the seminar, we looked at what you could buy a townhome for, and 
And a similar townhome in a good location was about a million dollars. Yep. And in order to break even on that townhome, you'd have to put down a half a million dollars. Yeah. That sounds so, about right. Just crazy. Just crazy. Well, you know, I love the Bay Area, though, because there's so much money, so much success. And then they're all coming to Utah. So we, we love all you, all those companies in the Bay Area. But, you know, so what do you think is the biggest inhibitor from these people that are getting the IPOs that are uh, very, very successful in the tech industry? What prevents them from investing out of state or or rather than throwing their money into their personal house? What's keeping them close to home? I think the concept of being a landlord is the first hurdle that most people don't want to get or can't get over or or don't even attempt to get over. And then you add distance between you and your investment. Mm-hmm. And I think the the idea of sending money to Salt Lake City for a $300,000 townhome that rents for $1,900, mm-hmm. uh, just that concept alone is like a non-starter for so many people because they are dealing with a commute and their kids in private school and yep. you know their jobs that are going well, but you know they have to be in the office by eight thirty or nine, and then they're doing the same thing on the way back. And you know they're the light this the pace of life here is really fast and just even our transactions, like we're closing transactions in 20, 14 to 21 days. If you're, wow. if you have an escrow longer than 25 days, something's wrong. And wow. it's, and it just permeates to the rest of our life. We're all on our phones. We're all moving way too fast. And I think for someone to slow down enough to even learn the skill of being a landlord or just run the numbers on it and get over that fear is probably the first thing. And beyond that, I think there's certainly a group of people who think once you've made it in in tech in Silicon Valley, then you've made it. Period, and mm-hmm. you know you're going to be all all is going to be well forever, which may or may not be true. I think most of us would argue it's probably not a good <laughs> practice to to carry forward. But yeah, um, I think most people like putting putting their money relative to real estate in something they can touch and feel and that they don't have to share with somebody else. Hence the single family. Got it. Got it. Well, you touched on some really good points. And I think the fear of just being a landlord, having to deal with a renter or a tenant that trashes your unit, that doesn't want to move out, maybe isn't paying rent. And a lot of that fear comes from the California laws. You know, it's not fun being a landlord in California, unfortunately, and other states like Illinois, where a judge will absolutely favor the tenant, even if they haven't paid rent in five, six, seven, eight months. So I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, I've been part of an organization where we built fourplexes and it was served to the investor on a silver platter where we did management. We built the fourplex. We found the tenants for you. We knew exactly what it was going to rent for. And we're doing the same thing with these townhomes and we're building more in Boise as well. But I think you're absolutely right. People are so busy. It's hard to really educate yourself on an asset class or on a location. And it's hard to wade through all of the fluff of all these gurus or all these education companies or all these investors that are pitching all these deals. And what I found probably is the most or the best approach to a realtor in your area 
with clients that want to invest out of state is my good friend, Grace Singh. And I hope you guys get to meet. I'll connect you both because she's be not too far from you. But what she does is she takes her earnings and she invests a huge amount of her earnings. She's a you know, high producing real estate agent. Mm-hmm. And then what she'll, she'll say is, okay, client, Mr. and Mrs. Client, here's what I did. This is what I did. I invested in this fourplex in Salt Lake City or a fourplex in Boise, or I know she did some in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, she just invested with me in, in Utah. And, and she said, here's what it looks like and, and here's what we can do. So it's much more personalized. And that's really been one of the most successful approaches out of anybody I know that has a lot of contacts in the Silicon Valley area because people want to have someone they can trust and rely on because they don't have the time because they're very, very busy, busy being successful at yep. their jobs or with their families. And, you know, I, I, I think it's hard. So I'm glad that you're getting more and more into investments. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm kind of curious, what, what are your investment goals as far as you're a 30 year old kid? A lot of people would consider you a kid still. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, most people, I think. Yeah, <laughs> especially yeah. in my office. <laughs> so, so what are your goals personally to invest? Well, I'm a lot like your friend in that I uh, invest a huge chunk of my money. I've actually got an offer on a on a duplex right now in Tacoma, Washington, which will be the second one if if it goes through. We've got a due diligence period, but an offer out right now as we speak that I'm. I'm looking to uh, expand a portfolio of rental properties. And that to me in sort of a secondary or tertiary market that has proximity to an airport and other jobs and growth and what have you, I think um, is a a fantastic place to to learn, uh, to put your money in to get cash flow as well as the appreciation. So that's a huge part of my strategy as well. One thing that can work very well in this market is flipping or wholesaling. And mm-hmm. most people would suggest that that's probably not investing <laughs> in the formal sense because you're, you're, you're still doing a service and you're spending hours on this property for a payoff at the end. So, um, but that is something that can work really well. Uh, in this market. And so that's something that I've done here. I flipped a house last summer and I'm looking for my next one uh, actively right now uh, in conjunction with, with working in my uh, residential real estate, you know, client representation. Got it. Yeah. And, and, you know, flips are always out there. I think our average, my average clientele doesn't want anything to do with flips. Right. Um, my wife and I just swore to each other that we this was our last one. I'm sitting in my last one. We're moving out tomorrow. We've lived in a lot of our own flips. And oh, nice. And uh, you know, I'm only 34. I'm, I'm not old, but man, I feel really tired of the flips. Mm-hmm. The fantastic news is we've made huge returns on our money. I've never made yep. less than 20 percent on my money, and most of the flips I've done have been closer to 50 percent return on my money. Just, ch- just outrageous. The challenge with that, how uh, what you're talking about is house hacking strategy in this market is the bidding war in the first place is mm-hmm. because there's such a shortage of housing in our marketplace, but the job growth is still roughly 2x the national average here because of all the tech energy that's that's just here. Right. And uh, so there's still people with money and with a desire to buy a home. And so 
if there's a value add opportunity, it can get penciled out real quick on the acquisition because you have to pay 10, 20, 30, 40% over the list price or over yep. what some might consider a fair market value. And, and you obviously just lose value in that way. That is starting to change, no doubt. There's, there's certainly a talk of change in the air and you're starting to feel it here and there. But it's it hasn't happened yet in a big way, and until that happens, I think you know the prices are still going to be uh, aggressively in the favor of the seller. Right. No, I agree. That's how we are as well. We have a huge influx of tech jobs. You know, Adobe is adding fifteen hundred employees to their already fifteen hundred employee sized uh, office here in in the Silicon Slopes. We have Oracle that just built a building. Facebook is adding a data center plus another 500 employees after that. And same thing, it, it's really hard to, to find a good deal. You have to look hard. And, and on the rentals, um, you know, we're actually looking out of state. We're looking all over the U.S. right now. I just wrote an LOI on a Springfield, Missouri property. We wrote one on a Kansas City property the week before. Where else? We just closed on 208 doors in Dallas, Texas. So, you know, we're doing syndication. We're buying large, large multifamily mm-hmm. properties where the risk is lower, the returns are a little bit higher. But they're further from home, so it's not for everyone. And that's something that I'm looking to scale into. You sort of asked about my strategy. Like I'm Mm -hmm. working on a two to four unit. I can buy that with a more conventional financing. I can sink my teeth into it. It's more doors, but not too many. I can self-manage that, which I think everyone should try and set up a system for themselves to self-manage at least at a small Mm -hmm. scale in the beginning. So you at least know what you have to do and then you can hire that out. And I've, I did the opposite. I hired a property Mm -hmm. manager or my wife and I hired a property manager, got burned, fired that person in ourselves. So I think that's a hugely valuable uh, experience if you want to get into this space, but then scaling more doors per roof is kind of what I look at it as. It's like, yeah, have 200 doors under one roof and the, and the, and the 10 tenants leave, you still have 190 people, you know, put, contributing to the land, lawn care and the new roof eventually and yep. the water heaters and all that other stuff. Paying down the mortgage. But one other thing that I think is sort of interesting and it's only reminded me because you said Kansas City. I was actually looking in Kansas City as a market to invest out of state in. And I got real serious to the point that we were looking at flights. And it turns out that it's not exactly easy to get to Kansas City from Oakland. You have to, you have to connect. There's nothing direct. Oh, wow. And it was going to be a $500 round trip flight plus whatever the car and the, the hotel would be. Yep. And we looked at it and we're like, we're talking about buying a two unit building that would cash flow at, you know, roughly three, $400 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to wipe out our cash flow every for six months every time we go here yeah. <laughs> to visit the property. So we decided, hey, is there somewhere we go that also has a market like Kansas City? And that's ultimately how we landed in Tacoma. Yeah. And that's something that I, I tell people is like, if you're going to go out of state, think about where you already go or you have family or you would otherwise vacation regularly so that you can set up a, not only uh, a place that you're spending money to go anyways. Now you can write that off, but that you presumably know a little bit better as well. That's huge. That's, that's huge. And, and, you know, I'm from Boise, Idaho, 
And that's why Boise is absolutely blowing up. It's, it's insane right now. Number one market for appreciation in the country. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, it's an hour, just over an hour from LA mm-hmm. and everywhere else in, in California, probably just less than an hour from, from San Jose, Oakland yep. area. So yep. you have this massive, massive amount of growth and massive amount of investors looking in, in the Boise area. I listed a fourplex project. There was 67 fourplexes that we built mm-hmm. and I sold all of them in a month and a half pre-construction. They weren't even built oh, wow. yet. And when I, when I took this company to Boise, that this fourplex building company, I thought, you know, I'm going to have to market like crazy. I'm going to have to educate people on why Boise is awesome, why it's growing, you know, talk to them about the job diversification. And geez, I, I didn't realize that you Californians already know Boise. You already love Boise. I mean, I knew it was a nice place to live. I just didn't yeah. know that, um, that it was so well known. So we sold that project out very fast. You know, we've already got millions of dollars essentially lined up waiting for us to do another project there in Boise, yeah. which we'll be doing soon. Same thing for Utah. But, you know, that's a really good point. I was looking at a project, kind of funny. I have a coach uh, that helps me kind of analyze deals. And, you know, he's a very, very successful commercial developer. He does nine-figure deals, 10-figure deals. And and I was looking at a deal in College Station. He goes, Sam, why the hell would you buy 16 doors in College Station, Texas? And and I go, "Uh, what do you mean? He said, well... It's going to cost you, just like you said, it's going to cost you 500 bucks to fly there at least. All of your cash flow will be wiped out. Why are you spending your time on these, on these small deals? And so now our rule is if we're going to travel out of state, it has to be at least $5 million. You know, if we're going to go out of state, out of our two MSAs, Boise and Idaho, my partner's in Albuquerque. So out of Albuquerque or those two markets, it has to have huge cash flow or huge upside. Otherwise, there's no reason to to really travel that far. You might as well buy a, an A-class asset that ca- has low cash flow and has less to work with in, in your market area. So um, totally. I agree with you there. It's, it's got to make sense. Great. So now you probably ought to look at plane tickets to Boise because I bet they're like 200 bucks. I got to tell you, I... I don't know Boise as a market, but I used to uh, ski with my family in uh, Sun Valley, which is about two hours east. And we would fly into Boise all the time. One of my cousins actually just moved there to to Haley and catch them full time, was doing commercial real estate in Seattle for 13 years, uh, kind of burnt out. He has three kids and he's like, oh my gosh, our lifestyle, our cost of living is so much better. And we can still make, you know, tons of money (laughs) because of the market and what's going on there, you know, with tech and with all the jobs. And it's, it's still an opportunity because, uh, for him, he's, he's a commercial developer and, um, he's saying there's just such a lack of housing for workforce. And so that's the niche that he's carving up for himself. sounds like you're doing something similar. And there are certainly those types of markets that still exist. And as long as it's something that you would want to go to anyways, I think it's a fantastic place to start. Yeah, Boise, I think, you know, Boise and Meridian are ranked consistently in the top 10 best places to live in the US. And yeah, the lifestyles there is fantastic. Low cost of living and Really nice people, nice place to live. Uh, landlord laws, like we talked about earlier, landlord laws are fantastic. Uh, not crazy low uh, property taxes, but not crazy high. Yep. You know, 
So yeah, so it sounds like you're looking, you, you just bought a, you're buying a duplex or you have one under contract in Tacoma. When yep. do you think you're going to make the jump to larger properties? I'm, I'm curious. For me, it's an education component. I feel really comfortable valuing up to four units and obviously the single family and all that stuff. I can kind of speak that language and, and get it. I have yet to really deep dive on the five plus and really sort of understand for me, actually it's IRR is the one thing that I'm really trying to attack from an education standpoint. I get it mm-hmm. conceptually, but it's a, it's a lot to digest. And once I feel comfortable really getting the metrics behind how to value and how to run and how to, how to value add, that's probably the point what I'll feel more comfortable going into that space because I just don't feel like I know quite enough. I know enough to be dangerous, but to, to <laughs> just as easily get myself into a bad deal. Got it. Got it. Cool. Well, you know, one thing um, for our listeners as well, I, I'm actually recording a series of how to analyze a deal and make sense of these large multifamily deals. And there's so many, so much information out there. So many different totally indicators and there's Grant Cardone who's awesome. So we're going to do a very high level, you know, how do you look at a deal and, you know, back of a napkin with the waitress's pen, how do you figure yep, out if, yep. if it's worth looking at and then deep dive into the P&L. Look at that P&L. Does the P&L make sense? That's profit and loss. Does the T12, yep. the trailing 12, is that complete? You know, we just had a deal sent to us in Albuquerque where we didn't have any info for 45 of the units. It was 200 doors and 45 of the units were just missing. So that sounds I get like you there. What's that? <laughs> I said, that sounds like an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're probably writing an LOI. I love Albuquerque, by the way. But so we'll be doing that. And I'll actually invite you to jump on those calls um, if to. we do a live one. But yeah, it, it really, you have to get nerdy. You know, you have to, ed- just like yourself, educate yourself. And I, I kind of joke, um, I don't know if my business partner likes me saying this or not, but I'm pretty nerdy. I love looking at, at Excels. He's more nerdy than I am, though. You know, he's yeah. a... <laughs> He's a CPA, you know, so he graduated in accounting from BYU, Hawaii. Smart, smart dude, really good at looking at numbers. And, and that's what ultimately you have to do. It's not emotion. It's not, you know, you're not relying on the realtor or someone. You really have to look at the numbers and know how to break those down. And, and just totally. like you said, educate yourself. So any recommendations on where to go for education or, or something that's worked well for you to start learning about large multifamily? Well, I can't say that I know enough about large multifamily to, to have a education source yet, but I would say there are many, many podcasts out there that are available and people just talk about mm-hmm. enough to get you uh, acquainted with the terms, the terminology, the process. Bigger Pockets is a pretty great one. Although I'd say generally those guests tend towards kind of the flippers, the yep. small yep. Start, people starting, you know, doing what I'm doing, basically buying single families or buying two to fours. That said, they've had Grant Cardone on there a couple of times and some other really big names. So that's a great place to start. And there are some really fantastic books out there as well. I just got uh, Joe Fearless's book, Pure Syndication. Uh-huh. Literally haven't even opened it yet, but I'm excited to dig into that one and see what's in there. And then on top of that, I, I which is kind of how 
you and I met in the first place is networking with people, right. going to meetups, going to places where we're similarly interested and similarly minded people hang out, whether it's physically like at a bar at a meetup or if it's at uh, a Facebook group or somewhere online. There are countless Facebook groups out there around the multifamily yep. space and probably half of what you read in there is a bunch of garbage, but mm-hmm. I'm sure that if you can sort of uh, see through some of that, there is a lot of really positive information and, and potentially some people to meet or to connect with like what we're doing and get to know someone like yourself to, who is doing what you ultimately want to do. And I think as Travis Chapel always says, like you add value to someone whose place you would like to shift into and, and, right. you know, bring them value in some way. And then hopefully you can get in their world and learn what they know and hopefully do what they did. You know, that's huge. And, and I love that you just said that because I, I always offer to people, I will help any way I possibly can. I really enjoy coaching and helping others. It's one of the things like I coach real estate agents for free mm-hmm. just because I like to see them make money and succeed. I'm having time, less time for that now, but on the investment side, I love breaking down deals with people. And, and that's how you add value to someone like me or a syndicator or a big multifamily purchaser or someone like you, for, for example, if someone has a duplex or a flip they're looking at in the Bay Area, I imagine you'd be okay helping them run the numbers if they brought it of to course. you. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, especially if it's a flip or whatever it is, it's like, those are hard to come by. And mm-hmm. if you have one or you know of one and you take it to somebody who then knows what to do with it once you have it, that is a huge value add in, in our area. And people would absolutely love that. And if it's not me, it's someone like Brian Pham, who's been on my podcast or some of the other flippers that I know or investors mm-hmm. that I know. And, you know, it's, I think building out that network is probably your, your fastest way to get to the education and get to where you want. Because if that person can't help you or doesn't know the answer, then they're probably going to point you in the direction of someone else that they know, especially if you came at them in a really positive, you know, value adding uh, way in the first place. Yep. No, that's huge. I have this, this very successful realtor in Southern Florida that wanted to get into multifamily and he's been sending me deals and, and it's fun because we get to analyze the deal together and all of them have been not even close at this point. But all of a sudden, he'll, he'll email me and say, hey, I know this one probably doesn't work, but I just wanted to check with you anyways. So he's learning very quickly what's a deal and what's not. Um, An agent from San Francisco just sent me a deal and said, hey, what do you think about it? And I know the area very well, and, and it's probably something he needs to write an offer on. So mm-hmm. um, I would say most people are very open to helping others. I, I'm pretty busy and hard to get a hold of. But if you get a hold of me, just email me. I'll, I'll absolutely help anyone that, that I can. And, and I'd say most agents and investors are very like-minded because that's how they do deals. So the value that these our listeners and that clients can bring is if you have a deal, bring a deal to us. That, that's yep. huge value. That's one thing that I, I disagreed with, with someone on, on Facebook actually Brian Pham, who I mentioned, he's a great flipper. He's done like 25 deals, made mm-hmm. a ton of money and owns a bunch of rentals. Um, but he was talking about, you know, offering to go uh, tell or, or buy people lunch. And like, that's sort of the common thing. Like, let me buy you lunch. Let me pick your brain for an hour or whatever. Oh, I hate it. 
Yeah. And I, and I challenged him on that because it was like, well, okay, if I take you to lunch, like, great. Like now you've told me stuff about flipping for an hour, but like, what have I really done for you? And uh, how is my impression now in your eyes? You're just someone who just kind of leached on me. I know that's kind of a negative way to put it, but that's sort of what happens. Whereas if you can figure out a way to help that person get to their goal, in some way, then then you've really done a, a service, you've set yourself apart, and you've probably learned a lot more along the way as opposed to just sitting there for an hour absorbing whatever it is they're saying. Right. And and I think everyone's been guilty of trying to take someone to lunch and learn from them. Oh and gosh, and yeah. I think, you know, Travis Chappell is a great podcast, Build Your Network. And and a lot, a lot of what I'm realizing is a lot of very successful people add value or they don't approach it as let me pick your brain. It's let's get to know each other and figure out where we can work together, where we can create some synergy. I I have a big network of people. I know you have a big network. Let me figure out who I can introduce you to in my network. That's going to excel your business. That's going to um, do something for you. And I think if you approach it that way, that's great as well as finding a deal and, and helping someone, you know, pick up some business that way. Uh, we're running out of time, Hans. Um, okay. I do want to ask, though, you're in the East Bay. Where do you live, by the way? What city? Alameda, which is right next to Oakland. Okay. So you're a hugely successful realtor. You're on a hugely successful top-level team in, in the East Bay area. What area do you cover specifically? So it's... Alameda County broadly, but more specifically, it's the cities of Alameda, Oakland, Berkeley, Piedmont. Uh, I do go up into Richmond, which is a little bit north in El Cerrito, but and a little bit south as far as Hayward. But that is my core is Oakland, Alameda, Berkeley, Piedmont. Got it. I think one of the best seafood restaurants I've ever eaten at was in Hayward. Gosh, I'm trying to think of where that would be. I think I know know what you're talking about. It's 12 years ago. I can't remember. I can't remember, but it was amazing. So, so you're a successful realtor, you're flipping homes, buying rentals. Um, how can our listeners reach out to you and add value or bring you deals, bring you investors? Um, email is email the best website. Yeah. The, uh, well, I'm on Instagram. Uh, that's where you can follow me if you care to see what I'm doing kind of on a daily basis in my real estate practice, which is at Chief Sna, S-N-A-H, which is Hans spelled backwards. Um, my email though, which is probably the most direct route, which I check all the time is East Bay Hans at Gmail. Perfect. And mostly you're working with high net worth individuals and their homes. Um, but you do work with investors. You said about 20, 30% of your business. Mm -hmm. What, what's something, uh, an exciting project you have going on right now? I know you said you're buying the duplex, anything else going on in the Bay area, maybe a good listing, maybe an investment opportunity that, that you're excited about. Man, we, we have handfuls of listings coming up all the time that are, that are really cool. We have a, a, a duplex in Alameda. Well, actually it's a single family with a, with an ADU in the basement, but it effectively is a duplex and it's, it's got a really nice price. It's under a million dollars in it and it will probably trade under a million, which is really shocking given wow. where it is and what it is. It's it's total like five beds, three baths. And it's a, it's a got a new foundation. It's a really killer deal. Beyond that, 
uh, we're always sort of coming on uh, some new projects and new listings, but that's probably the one right now that is got my attention in a big way. That sounds like a killer deal. So they can live in it and have someone help them pay the mortgage. Exactly. There are some rent control laws around that that you you definitely want to be aware of because Alameda is passing rent control constantly, and that's a very fluid conversation right now. But it but yes, you could absolutely employ that strategy of a house hack. Perfect. Well, it sounds like you're an expert in that field. So they'll, they'll have a good resource if they go to you. I'll make sure I put your email, website, Instagram, phone number in the show notes. Um, I really appreciate you being on here. And any, any last advice for our listeners, um, anything you want to add to the conversation? Yeah, relative to uh, adding value to someone, because I think that's probably your most direct route to success is um, find out what you're good at and and figure out where your intersection of your passion and your unique abilities lie and use that as a way to leverage yourself into conversations. By that, I mean, when you find someone who's doing what you want to do, go to them and say, hey, I'm really good at cold calling. And I would be more than happy to call through whatever list of leads you haven't been able to get to. And I bet you I can get a 10% connection rate because that's what I've gotten in the past or some something concrete like that. Yeah. And if you can bring something to them, that's like, Hey, I can see how that would plug in for me. That's really positive. When you go to them and say, how can I add value to you, you've now created another problem for them. And in fact, you've, you've done less yep. than create, you created a problem, not value because they got to solve your problem now. Now they got to think about it and figure, figure your issue out. Yeah, exactly. So figure out what you're good at, uh, figure out how, you know, what your unique ability is and pitch that to, to the person you want to get in front of. Awesome, man. Great advice. I really appreciate you being on. Thanks for your time. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you in the future. And I, I think absolutely. We'll- I'll uh, be recording that how to analyze a deal. I think a little bit later this week with my business partner, Lyndon, and I'll send that out to you. And then maybe we can do a follow-up call. I'd also love to talk to you about Boise because it's a great market. If I can educate you there and add any value, help you understand that market because you should be able to find some good deals there as well. I'd love to. 